Amen. Something changes when you get saved. Amen? If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It was about a year ago this month that I saw an unknown number pop up on my phone from Bonaire, Georgia, <laughs> in Houston County. And since then, I've got a pronunciation lesson, and I've made not only a bunch of friends, but a lot of family. And it is such a joy to be with you this morning. Aaron and I love you from the bottom of our hearts. We're so privileged to have a pastor that preaches the word week in and week out, that lives out what he preaches. It's such an honor to serve on our staff and our support staff, brothers and sisters, and just to do life with you. We are so excited about what God is doing and what he's going to do for his glory. So it's such a great honor to be here, and I'm very grateful to Pastor Jim for the opportunity this morning. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church that he loves, just like I'm preaching to a church that I love. He had planted this church in Corinth, one of the most prominent cities in ancient Greece, he had planted this church, he had stayed two years with them, and now he's on his third missionary journey riding to a church that he dearly loves. And he's telling this church and he's reminding this church all that he had taught them, all that he had experienced in his life. You see, Paul was a guy that used to kill Christians. He used to persecute believers. And then he got saved. And because of that salvation, the rest of his life was changed. And so he's writing not just a bunch of theological information, but what had transformed his life. And so he reminds them of this great gospel truth, and he tells them how to experience a brand new life. And that's the title of the message this morning, is Brand New Life. I'm here to tell you this morning, on the authority of God's Word, that no matter how you came into this auditorium, you can have a brand new life because of the blood of Jesus. And if you've experienced that brand new life, it gives us power to live it out in an amazing way so that others see it. So if you're with me this morning, over across the street, we say, if you got it, say got it. So if you got it, say got it. We'll begin reading in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray this morning they would see all Christ and know Clark. God, I pray that your spirit would move in a mighty way, that we would see the brand new life you desire us to live, and that we would live that out for your glory. So God, open our spiritual eyes this morning, help us see Jesus for who he really is, and help him transform our lives in a way 
that brings you the most glory. God, thank you for this church and for our pastor. We devote this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The first part of the brand new life I want you to see this morning is that Jesus gives us a brand new perspective. When you get saved, something changes about the way you see other people. And Paul said, we used to regard everyone according to the flesh, but now we regard them no longer. We don't see them the way we used to see them. Because he says, we regarded Christ one way, and now we see him for who he really is. A lot of people say that Jesus was a good teacher. Other people say Jesus was a good moral example. Or he came and lived a good life that we should follow. But what Paul had experienced is that Jesus was not just a good moral teacher. He was not just an example. He was not just a person from Galilee causing trouble for the Roman Empire. He was the risen and reigning king of the universe. And when you view Jesus for who he really is, your perspective changes when you're looking at other people. Now, it's so easy in my life, I don't know about you, but it's so easy to see people in different ways. I like to put people in boxes because of my preconceived views and what I see of them. For instance, um, Bulldogs fans and Bama fans. There's quite a difference. We won't even speak about Florida fans. But we see rich and poor, we see educated and uneducated. And we see all these different distinctions from a human point of view. But what Paul is writing is he says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. When you see people with spiritual eyes, you see people the way God sees people. You see people who are broken and in need of grace. And you don't see all of these distinctions. You see the two types of people the Bible describes. You say, that's too simple. There's all kinds of people. Well, really, there's only two types of people according to the Bible. Saved people and unsaved people. Wheat and tares. Sheep and goats. Dead in sin, alive in Christ. This is what the Bible teaches, is that there is a difference, there is a distinction between saved and unsaved. Those who have found forgiveness in Christ and those who are in need of the forgiveness in Christ. John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life because the wrath of God remains on him. There's two types of people in the world. Those who have experienced this new life that we're talking about this morning and those who have yet to experience it. And so in your everyday life, when you're living out what has happened in your life, you're living out the gospel, you see people differently your spiritual eyes are open. When I was a kid, I was a pretty nerdy kid. I had problems with my eyesight. And finally, my parents took me to the eye doctor and they gave me glasses. And all of a sudden, a whole new world opened up for me. And so every year or so, because my eyes get progressively worse and worse, I go and get a new prescription. And when I put on those new glasses, I just see a bunch of fuzz right now. When I put on those glasses, it's like a whole new world. And that's what happened to Paul when he was blinded, his spiritual eyes were open. When he was blinded on that road to Damascus, he could see. God gave him a new perspective. He didn't see people how he used to see people. He saw people who were brothers and sisters in Christ or potential brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So when you're living out the new life, you have to have a new perspective. But that's not the only thing that happens. The second thing is, is that Jesus changes us into a brand new person. Jesus did not come to change the life you already have. Jesus came to give you a brand new life. And this is what Paul writes. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is come. You say, well, you don't know me. Well, God does. He knows how you came in here this morning. He knows your mistakes. He knows your failures. He knows your shortcomings. And he still loves you. He still sent Jesus to die for you. And so that grace is available to you, and you can be a new creation this morning if you accept that what Jesus did was good enough for you to be right with God. There once was a communist that was making a speech in a city square, and he had really got the crowd going. He had really agitated the square and the people in the square, and there was a man stumbling down the street. He was a drunk, homeless man, and he pointed out and he said, communism can put a new suit on that man. Well, a Christian in the crowd cried right back, Jesus can put a new man in that suit. That's exactly what Jesus does. He doesn't transform us from the outside in. This is not just behavior modification. He changes us from the inside out. He makes us a new creation. We go from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ. Here's what happens. Number one, our being is changed. Everything about us changes. We are given a brand new spiritual life. It's what the Bible calls being born again. But not only that, our beliefs are changed. When we see Jesus for who he really is, we see that he is Lord, and we believe that, and in turn it changes our behavior, our actions. So our being is changed, leading to our beliefs being changed, so our everyday life is changed, our behavior. A brand new person. How is this possible? Verse 18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation is restoring a relationship that has been broken. That means that one person in the relationship has offended another person. I offend people all the time around our office. You see, because I didn't come from Georgia, and I love you so much, but I don't like your barbecue. And I offend Pastor Jim and Dan especially. I offended him this week because last week I got to go to Texas to see my grandfather. It was his 30th year pastoring his church there in Texas. 55 years in ministry. It was an amazing day. But while I was there, not once but twice, I got some real Texas barbecue. And so I came back in on Monday and I really offended some people. Because they're always trying to get me to go to Georgia Bob's. Don't like that. White Diamond, it's okay. Martin's is pretty good. Tolerate that. But I love Texas barbecue. If you've ever had Texas barbecue, it changes you. It, it, it does. Now, I love you, but I don't love your cue, okay? <laughs> Let's just get that straight. But I offended them, and so there's been a brokenness in our relationship to speak. And Dan was really offended because I've had some that he made, so he was personally offended. And Dan, you're watching up there, you do make a good brisket. But what would happen in a relationship that one person has offended another? 
For that relationship to be reconciled, the person who made the offense, who messed up, needs to be the one to go and say, I'm sorry. What has happened in our relationship with God is that the creator of the universe, the person who knows the number of hairs on your head, loves you so much, but your relationship with your creator is broken because of your sin. My relationship with God is broken because of my sin. What is sin? Anything that is against God. We've broken the laws of God. We've messed up. We've lied. We've cheated. I don't have to make you believe this this morning. You know this, that none of us are perfect. And because of our sin, the Bible says that our sins have separated us from God. There's been a barrier in our relationship with God because of our sin. Not only that, the Bible says that friendship with the world makes us an enemy of God. You say, I'm a pretty good person. I have a pretty good life. I'm an upstanding member of Houston County. The Bible says that if you are not alive in Christ, you are dead in your sins. And not only that, you have placed a barrier between yourself and God so that you are an enemy of God. And what God has done goes against all forms of human reconciliation. Because reconciliation means that the person that made the offense has to be the one that asks and reconciles and restores the relationship. But not so with our relationship with God. You see, God is the initiator of our reconciliation. The one who did no wrong, the one who did not break the relationship, we broke it because of our sin. God is the one who restored the relationship by making the first move through Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus Christ to restore the relationship that you and I broke. We're the ones at fault. And so God says that I am reconciling you and I'm bringing you into a right relationship with me. And not only that, I am adopting you into my family. This person who was an enemy of me, who shook his fist at me, Paul, he was adopted into God's family. He was an enemy of God and now he was a son of God. And it changed everything about him. Reconciliation is God restoring us back into a right relationship. Verse 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. See, Jesus died for the whole world. He said, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is the beauty of the gospel, that when you receive this reconciliation, when you're restored because of what Jesus has done, God takes your sin and he gives you the righteousness of Christ. He restores you. He makes you from an enemy to becoming a friend. And so God works through you. He restores you. He reconciles you so that you can go out and reconcile and restore other people. Amen. He makes you a minister of reconciliation. You say, I'm a minister? That's what the Bible says. God says that he's made you a minister of reconciliation. No, your name's not printed in the bulletin. No, you're not up on stage. But by your life and by your actions, you're a minister of reconciliation. That because you have been restored, you can show others how to be restored. So not only does he give us a new perspective, not only does he make us a brand new person, he sends us out with a brand new purpose. Paul writes in verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It doesn't say that you should be or that you might be an ambassador for Christ. It says that you are an ambassador for Christ. 
Did you know this morning, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, by your lifestyle and by your actions and by your attitudes, you are either pushing people towards Jesus or pushing them away from Jesus. There is no neutral ground. There are no neutral ambassadors. You are either drawing people to Christ or by your lifestyle you're pushing them away because you claim to believe one thing and you choose to do another. And God has called you, he has saved you and redeemed you, no matter where you're at this morning, he wants to use you to be a minister of reconciliation and to be his ambassadors. You say, I don't know very many people. Sociologists tell us that even the most shy and introverted person will influence 10,000 people in their lifetime. Think about it. When you go to the store, or you go to school, or you're at the workplace, you are interacting with people all day long. Each moment is a precious opportunity to be an ambassador for Christ. What do ambassadors do? Who are ambassadors? In ancient times and today, ambassadors were citizens of kingdoms. The Bible says that you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Ambassadors were sent by a king. You are sent by the king of kings. Ambassadors were sent to a foreign land. The Bible says this morning that this world is not your home. You're an alien and stranger on this earth. An ambassador was sent to share a message from the king and renew friendly relations. That's exactly what you do as an ambassador of the king. You share this beautiful message of reconciliation to those who desperately need it. What do they do? Ambassadors, first they share the gospel through words. Mark 16, 15, it says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So you're verbally sharing the good news. As many times as you are able, you're sharing the gospel with your one. The person that God's put in front of you at that moment. If there's a way and there's a window for you to share the gospel, you're going to share it through your words. But also through your work. Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. Put your heart into it. Whatever you do at school, whatever you do at work, you put your heart into it as though you're working for God and not for men. Through actions, 1 John 3.18, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So you're not just saying things, you're actually living it out through your actions. And lastly, ambassadors, they're sharing the gospel through their attitudes. Did you know that people pick up on your attitude? Philippians 2.5 says you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. So why are you an ambassador? Why through your words and your work, your actions, your attitudes, why would you be an ambassador for Christ? Because you might be the only Jesus that someone else ever meets. They may never pick up a Bible, but they will read your life. Whether you realize it or not, they're watching you. And God's Spirit is working in their lives. And by your life, you can impact and influence them to draw them closer to Christ, to bring them, to tell them how they can be reconciled through the power of the Spirit. God has made you a minister of reconciliation. So don't be paralyzed by your past. Don't be caught up in your mistakes and your inadequacies. Start where you are, be an ambassador for Christ. George Stott was a guy who lived in Scotland, and he was a one-legged school teacher. And he got the bright idea in fact, he was called to volunteer for missionary service to China. This one-legged guy who was a teacher. And so everyone asked him, they said, why are you with only one leg going to serve in China? He said, I do not see those with two legs going. 
Don't worry about the person down the pew saying they're better than me, they're, they know more scripture than me, they're a better Christian than me. Start where you are, allow God's spirit to empower you and use you, and he will allow you to influence people that me or someone else might can never reach. I might never meet them, Pastor Jim might not ever meet them, but you see them every day, and you know them, and you can be an ambassador for Christ. Now how is this possible? This is perhaps the clearest Picture the gospel in all the Bible. Verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who had no sin, took on the sin of the world. Not just a sin offering, but completely becoming the curse of sin for you and me, so that we could become the righteousness of God. So that when God looks on us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, and he does not see our sin. Now, many of you might not know this about me, but I'm a pastor's kid. And when I was a kid growing up in student ministry, I thought I was cooler than cool. I thought I could get away with anything because my dad's the pastor, right? So that's what I did. I just pushed the envelope, pushed the buttons of my student pastor over and over and over. And sometimes when my students do that to me, I remember that. Student ministry for years and years has had a reputation for having some pretty crazy or fun or nasty games. We get in the Word, we always point students to Jesus, but most of the time we're going to do something a little out there with, when it comes to games. Who remembers the show Fear Factor? It was a crazy show. Well, my student pastor was trying to be relevant and edgy, and God bless him because we put him through so much. And he had a game one Wednesday night. And it was to go along with this series on the fear factor. And what he had done is he had gone to a Japanese sushi house, and he had gotten squid covered in sriracha sauce. So this red sauce covering the squid. And so what he did is he brought it on Wednesday night, and he said, does anyone want to volunteer to eat this? It was like, eat this as fast as you can type thing. And so, of course, I raised my hand. That's what Jake does every time we play a game. He's the first one to raise. I don't know why it is with pastor's kids. They're always the first to play the game. And so I raised my hand, and so I got up there, and I began to get a little nervous because I had never had squid before, and I don't think I had ever tasted sriracha sauce. And my student pastor was a pretty snazzy dresser for the early 2000s. He liked to wear bowling shirts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Kind of like Hawaiian shirts, but a little different. And he had a brand new white Hawaiian, uh, not a Hawaiian, a bowling shirt, brand new. So he was standing up there holding the squid covered in sriracha sauce. And so when it came time to start the game and to eat it, I was looking at all of my friends. I had no idea what to do. I was nervous. And I don't know what got a hold of me in that moment, but I remember it just as clear as I'm standing here right now. I took the squid, I stepped back, and I flung it at my student pastor. And instantly, his shirt was covered in sriracha and squid. And his perfect white bowling shirt, God bless him, to this day I owe him a shirt. He told me it cost him $50, which back in my day was a lot of money. I stained his shirt. And then he had to go preach in that shirt. And he didn't like me very much after that. Let me tell you something this morning. We've all stained the shirt. We have all offended God. We have all sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory. There's been a time in our lives that we have been less than perfect. 
And because we've stained the shirt, God cannot look on us. Because God can only look on that which is holy, because that's who God is. That which is perfect, because that's who he is. So because of God's love, his love has met the demands that his holiness requires. So that in Christ, the love of God shown, God will look on Christ. If you will turn to him this morning, he will look on Christ and see his righteousness, and he will not see your stains. And that's the beauty of the gospel, is that he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. God's love has met the demands his holiness requires. Then Paul says this, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. It is a grave danger this morning to mistake understanding the gospel with actually living the gospel. Once you've received God's grace, the Bible says, do not receive that grace in vain. Let it count for something. He goes on to say that now is the day of salvation. Today is the day. I want to close by telling you a story. The great evangelist Billy Graham picked up the phone and he said this, Velma, you're going to beat us home. Tomorrow night you'll be in the arms of Jesus. The voice on the other end of the phone replied, praise the Lord. You see, the great Billy Graham was speaking to a lady named Velma Barfield who had murdered four people by poisoning them in cold blood, including her own mother. And so because she had committed these heinous crimes, the North Carolina jail system and the prison system and the criminal system had committed her and sentenced her to die by lethal injection. But while she was in prison, rightfully paying the crime, the price for the crime she owed to society, she had found freedom and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And she had befriended Billy Graham and his wife Ruth and their daughter Anne. And they had written back and forth. And this is what Velma wrote them. If I had the choice of living free on the outside of prison without my Lord or living on death row with him, I would choose death row. She said, I want my story told because I hope it will help people understand what God can do in the life of one loathsome and desperate human being. I understand what the Apostle Paul wrote when he called himself the chief of sinners. You see, God had saved Velma on death row. He had reconciled her and redeemed her, made her an ambassador for Christ where she's at. And as a result of her life, Billy Graham went to that prison not long after she went on to glory. And he preached a simple gospel message out of John 3, 16. And at the close of his message, 200 people responded to the gospel, including many guards in that institute, because they had watched Velma's life, what had happened in her life, how she had experienced a brand new life, and they came to know the gospel as a result of her witness and the great Billy Graham's. But I would ask you this morning, has there been a time in your life that you've been forgiven? Have you experienced a brand new life? Has there been a time when you have been made a brand new creation in Christ Jesus? Has your perspective changed? Have you seen people in a different way because you've experienced the grace of God? Has God sent you out with a brand new purpose as his ambassador?